All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. My name is Nick Olson. I'm the uh, lead pastor at Orchard Church in Erie. Pastor Doug cannot be here because he's on, with the team that's on the mission trip out in Mexico. Um, talked to Gary a couple days ago, and things are going great out there. God's doing some great things in Mexico through the Uesga family, which I know this church supports and our church supports as well. So uh, isn't it cool knowing that great things are happening for Christ worldwide and that we can be a part of that? It's exciting to know that. So, uh, so they're out there, everything's going well, but I am, am excited to have the opportunity to be here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, we were the very first church plant to go out from this church, and we planted out in Erie, Colorado, and so God's doing some great things there. Uh, we just new, moved into a new ministry center, and we're looking to move into Erie High School in September, so that's a really big deal for us, some really big steps uh, for our church to really move forward. So uh, it's great knowing that we have a network um, with another Orchard Church that we can trust and know that you guys are praying for us, right? You guys are praying for us, right? Okay. I hope so. So uh, just some really big steps that uh, we've just been praying for. We've been meeting in elementary school, and this has really opened up for us. And so just for financial things and other things, just everything goes smoothly so we can get in there. It's going to be a very big step for us, and we're really, really excited about what God is doing um, not just in our church, but in this church as well. So can't wait for the next Orchard Church to get planted out in Colorado somewhere as well, right? Looking forward to that. So good to be here. Are you guys excited to be here this morning? All right. Well, let's get to Ephesians chapter 6 in a series called Who Do You Think You Are? And we uh, actually did uh, the book of Ephesians in our church last year. And what I love about this book is all about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. Uh, what's our plan? What's our purpose? What should we be chasing after and pursuing? What should we be known for? And, and you know, everything comes to the simple fact that we are in our identity is to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Our, our, our plans, our pursuits, our purpose Everything that we are should be in the person of Jesus Christ, living for him, serving him, being all about him. And I think it's really easy to get confused in what our identity should be about. I think it's easy to get caught up in so many other things like our identity found in our job and our success and in our finances and our relationships and our family and all these other things that we pursue and chase after. And we think that our identity should be found in those things. But when those things start to fall apart, we feel lost, we feel empty, we feel... Um, like a failure because we, we really chased after that. That is who we are. That is our identity. And when those things don't work out, we're just, we're lost. But can I tell you this, that that's not where our identity is found. That's not what we are created to be about. That's not what we are purposed for. We are purposed to live for Jesus Christ in this life that we have. That is where our identity is found and is in him. And so today what I want to talk about in the beginning of chapter 6 um, where it goes reminds me of a story of, of a couple that I knew. They were an older couple. Their kids had all grown up. They'd moved out of the house. And so they'd just been living there together alone. And, and uh, what happened was the husband got really, really sick. And so I remember them just getting really worried and scared. And you know how men try to drag it out to go to the doctor and they drug it out as long as they could. And they decided, well, we should probably go get checked out, see what's going on. So they go to the doctor and uh, they have all these tests and different things done, and, and they kind of wait in the waiting room to figure out what's going on. And the doctor comes in, and he's got this really just worried look on his face, and, and he asks the wife to come with him to another room so he can kind of tell what's going on. So she leaves, and, and they sit down, they start talking, and, and he tells her that her husband has a very rare disease, and, and it's a very dangerous thing because if it's left untreated, he will probably die within the next three weeks is what she was told. 
And so she was scared to death, just like, well, well what do we do? Is there no hope? And, and he says, well, there is. There is one thing that you can do, and this is really the only treatment that you can give, and that if you do this, he will live. He will make it. But if you don't do it, he's going to die within the next three weeks. Just like, whatever it takes, I'll do whatever it takes because we've got a family. We love each other. And, and man, I'm just, I'm willing to do whatever. And she, he says, okay, well, he, here's what you got to do. Um, it's going to take a year of this, and you're going to have to be really committed to it. But what you're going to have to do is, is he's going to have to be on bed rest for the next year, and you're going to have to really just wait on him hand and foot. You got to cook him three home-cooked meals every single day. Three home-cooked meals. It's got to be good. You got to do it. You got to wait on him anytime he calls. You got to go up and answer. You got to give him a foot massage morning, afternoon, and at night. And I've seen his feet. I know it's not a pretty sight, but you got to do this. And at night, you got to give him a massage, and you got to do these things. And I mean, just 24-7, you've got to be there for him. You've got to do these things for him. And if you do this, then he's going to make it through. He's going to make it, and he's going to live. But if you fail to do these things, then, then he's only got about three weeks. So she's like, okay, I get it. And he says, well, do you want me to go in and break the news to him, or do you want to? And she says, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell him. So she goes into the room where he's waiting. He's just been sitting on this bed waiting to hear the news and the results of all these things. And so... As he sits there, she walks in, and she's got this look on her face, and he's like, well, what's going on? What, what are the results? What what'd you find out? And she walks up to him and says, honey, you're going to die. <laughs> you're good. This is it. We've only got three weeks left, so we got to enjoy it, all right? Well, she, she you know what? She just didn't want to serve, right? She just didn't want to serve in that way, and, and you know what? If you're here today and you, you have at a point in your life placed your faith in Jesus Christ as, as your leader and forgiver of your life and you place your faith in him and, and, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we become truly that. We become followers of him. And when we become followers of him, we've got to pattern our life after the life of Christ, the example that he lived for us in the 33 years that he lived here. He gave us an example to follow. And, and, and part of Ephesians chapter 6 speaks into something that Jesus says as an example that he lived for us to follow, that our identity should be found in as we serve Jesus and live for Jesus and follow him. And that's this, Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus says this, The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The Son of God came not to be served even though he... He deserved to be served. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. That's what he came for. He came to serve us. He came to live a life as an example for us. He came to die for us, to give us an opportunity to be forgiven and made right in the eyes of God. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And if we pattern our life after him and we follow after him, our identity is to follow Christ and to be all about him. And part of that identity is that we are to be servants of Jesus Christ. We are to be servants of his church. We are to be servants of the community that he has placed us in. He has called us to serve those who are apart from him. We are not here to be served. We are here to serve. And I think a lot of times when it comes to our faith, God becomes like a vending machine that when we have desires or wants, we go to him and expect to get something back because we, hey, man, we, we have faith so that we can be served. We go to church so that we can be served. We are, we're in this life because we want, we want, we want. But, man, we got it all wrong. That is not what our identity is. That's not how we follow after Christ. Our identity, and we are called, and our purpose is to serve, to serve Jesus, to serve his church, and to serve other people. That's what we are called to. That is his purpose and mission for us. We are called to be servants. And that's the example he left for us. So here in Ephesians chapter 6, 
I love what Paul does. You know, Jesus was great at giving ex examples and illustrations to paint a spiritual truth. And Paul's great at it as well. Last week, he talked about a, an example, a picture that he gave of marriage and how he used how a husband should love his wife so much to lay down his life for her, to love her that much. And he, and he illustrated that by the fact that Jesus loves the church and loves the church so much that he gave his life for the church and laid down his life for the church. And, and then he gave another example of how a wife is to be submissive to her husband as he leads the family to pursue Christ and, and honor Christ as a family. And so should the church be subject to Jesus and be obedient to him in every area of our life and to follow after him as leader and Lord. And he uses that to paint a picture, a great example, a great picture. Well, he does the same thing here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. He uses four different examples, four different pictures to show what it looks like for us and our identity to be found as servants of Jesus. What does that look like? How do we do that? How do we pursue that? And so he gives us these examples. So let me share with you four different types of servanthood. If we're, if we're truly going to follow Jesus and, and our identity is going to be found in him, then he's going to call us to be servants. Well, what does that look like? Well, let me give you four types and how it's illustrated here in Ephesians chapter 6. So the first one is this. It's children serve their parents. Children serve their parents. Amen, parents? C come on, man. Children serve their parents, man. I should be like slamming the Bible down and say, amen. Our kids should be serving. If you, if, listen, if there are students in here right now, this is the deal. You should be mowing the grass, you should be shoveling the driveway, doing laundry. I don't care what age you are, get a stinking job and pay rent. Come on. Yes. Now we're like, yes, pay rent. That would be great. Because children serve their parents. Well, that's not, not exactly what it's saying, but, but children serve their parents. Okay, well, what's that mean? What does that look like? And how does that paint a picture as us as servants of Jesus? Well, that really includes two things here. The first one, for children to serve their parents, it includes obedience. It includes obedience. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, all the students in here are hating me right now. It's like, dude, get this guy off the stage, man. Don't worry, you'll get your chance here in a second. Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents. This is the first way that we can serve our parents is by being obedient. The second one is this, is honor. It's to honor them. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, talking about the Ten Commandments, to honor your mother and father. Verse 3, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So this is talking about children, this picture, children, obey, honor your parents. It's how you serve your parents. Now, I love that verse 3. It says that if you do this, it, it will be well with you and you'll live long on the earth. Now, I know this is really talking about how God will bless us when we honor our parents, but I, I, I tend to like think of it that like when I was little and I disobeyed my parents and the punishments I faced, I think it really did take 10 years off my life. I think it really did. And, and so I, I can think of one time, I have an older brother. How many of you have older siblings that would pick on you all the time? That was my brother. And when I was little, I remember we were outside and he was just picking on me, you know, pushing me around, making fun of me, all that stuff when I was little. And it just got to a point where I was just fed up. I was done with it. So I decided to leave. I went inside. And right when you walk inside, it goes to our staircase. And so I went inside and my dad was, was just down the hallway about 30 feet away, sitting at dining room table with a friend of his. And so I've been blessed with great parents who are great examples for me. And they did not put up 
with any bad behavior. They just not put up with that. And so when I was at the bottom of the staircase, my dad was talking to his friend. They were sitting down, and my brother came running in the front door. And as he ran in, he smacked the back of my head as hard as he possibly could. So he just smacked my head, and that hurt so bad. And he ran upstairs to his room and shut the door. And now this was what happened next. I just want to clarify. This was pre-Jesus for me, okay? This was before I knew Jesus. I <laughs> just want to clarify that. So he slapped the back of my head really hard. And right after he did that, man, I just, I yelled out a long string of curse words. Just yelled it out. And as soon as I did that, I knew that my life was over. <laughs> so... I looked over and my dad, I mean, as soon as those things left my mouth, I looked over and my dad stood up and I saw his eyes, he saw my eyes, and it's that whole deer in the headlights type of thing because you ever been so scared that you just can't move? You know, like those nightmares where you're scared and you, you want to scream but you can't do anything, and that's kind of where I felt like. I, I looked at my dad, he looked at me, and I was so scared to death, I could not move. He could have been a mile away moving at me in slow motion, and I, I couldn't run. I couldn't do anything. I was just stuck. And he just started running towards me. And, and as he was coming towards me, he like began to morph into like the Hulk, like just started changing. And in my head, I'm like, okay, I, you know, I never got to kiss a girl, never got to drive a car. <laughs> Obey your parents and you can live long on the earth. Why didn't I stick with that? What was I thinking? And so he came, he grabbed me and threw me up the first flight of stairs. I landed, grabbed me again, threw me up the second flight of stairs and grabbed me again. And, and, and it was like a 20 feet be between where I was to where my room was. And, and he picked me up. And I tell you, if there was like an Olympic event for child throwing, my dad would get the gold <laughs> every time. So he grabbed me. Man, he tossed me in my room and, and I landed. He shut the door. And I tell you what, man, I never cussed again in front of my parents. I never cussed again. <laughs> Man, that was, that was bad. But so here's, here's the thing. If, if you're a parent, if you got kids, you can agree with me in this, that, that our kids could serve us well if they honored us and obeyed us, right? If they honored us and obeyed us, man, they would serve us well. And we're not saying we're doing all these horrible chores and all this kind of stuff, but if they just honored us and, and obeyed us, man, that would serve us well. It really, really would. But here's the thing. If they don't honor us as parents, if they don't honor us in the position that we have in their life, if they don't honor us as the authority that God has placed in their life, if they don't honor that, guess what they'll never do? They'll never obey us if they don't honor us as parents. It just won't happen. If they honor us, then they're going to be obedient to the things that we ask them to do. Now, what does that look like for us as our identities to be found in servants of Jesus Christ? How do we do that? What's that look like? How does this picture relate to that? Well, it's really easy. You ever think about the fact that when our kids, the things that drive us nuts about our kids sometimes, it's like, man, you know what? They, they never listen to me. They never obey me. They don't respect who I am in their life. And, and anytime I ask them to do something, they just don't do it. They're just not obedient. It drives me nuts. You ever think about the things that drive us nuts about our kids is the very same way we act sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ? But you got to understand something, that if we are going to be servants of Jesus, which we are called to, that's where our identities need to be found. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not just called to be a follower of him. You are called to be a servant of him. And if you're going to be a servant of him, you've got to, number one, you've got to honor him. 
you got to honor who he is in your life, that he is God. He's not just there when you want him, not when you don't want him. He's not just there when you need him and not there when you don't really need him anymore. He's God. Do you, get, you understand that? that? That he's master. He is Lord. That he's everything. That he is God Almighty, the creator. And if we fail to honor him as who he is and the position that he has in our life, if we don't honor that, guess what we will never do? We will never obey him. That when he speaks to our life and says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to go here. I want you to say this. I want you to serve me here. I want you to change this aspect of your life because it's not being obedient to me. I want you to change this priority in your life to make it more about me. I want you to have more faith in me and trust in me and serve me because I have great things in store for you. But if we're not honoring him as God and master and Lord, then we're never going to follow through in those things. So if you want to be found and your identity be known and people look at you and say, you know what, I find them as and, and they're identity is to me is that they, they are a servant of Jesus Christ and and that's what we are called to be so if you want to look like that if you want your identity to be found in that then you have got to honor God and who he is in your life and be obedient to his voice that's how you can be a servant because if you eliminate that it'll never happen it'll never happen let's look at the next one the next picture that he paints for us is that parents should serve their children. Kids, this is your chance. Parents serve their children. Nothing. Nothing. Parents, you're lucky. Okay. Parents serve their children. So what, is that, what does that look like? Well, the first part of this is encouragement. How do parents serve their children? Well, through encouragement. Look at verse 4. It says, And you fathers do not pro provoke your children to wrath. How many of you husbands you had your wife ever use that on you? Am I the only one? Because whenever I'm like, you know, I tickle my kids until they cry, or I, I how many, like when you, I scare my kids, some of my kids get upset when they get scared. Anybody else like that? When you get scared, you just get really upset. My wife is like that. If I scare her, she just gets mad, and it just doesn't keep me from doing it. I just love to do it anyway, but... <laughs> But I'll scare my kids or just have fun with them to the point where sometimes they get upset and my wife will yell, Nick, do not provoke your kids to wrath, you know, and she yells that at me. But luckily that's not what this verse is saying. So dad's okay to take your kids till they cry and scare them till they get upset. All right, but what this is talking about, what, what's it mean? The opposite of provoke means to encourage. So what it means for parents and fathers, parents to provoke your kids to wrath, this is what it means. Is that as parents, when we're not encouraging our kids, as, as parents, when we're, we're not being consistent in how we discipline them, as parents, when we're not placing them in environments where they can grow in their faith and their relationship with Christ, if, if as parents, we're making light of the things that are really important to them, if as parents, we're doing those type of things, then we are not encouraging them. You know what we're doing? We're provoking them to wrath. We're provoking them to go down and chase more destructive behaviors in their life. So if you're not giving these things to them in their life, if you're not giving them encouragement, they will... I promise you, time after time, they will chase down avenues that are more destructive because that's where they're getting the encouragement and where they get that encouragement through, through negative influences, but at least they feel like they fit in, at least they feel like they're encouraged, at least they feel like they're getting something. They're going to go those things, so it provokes them to wrath is if, as parents, we are not serving them by encouraging them. It's such a big deal for parents to serve their kids in that way. Here's another one, is guidance. Guidance. So looking at verse 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition 
of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So what does that look like as parents? How can we serve them best? You serve them best by making sure they're in church. Make sure your kids are in church. Make sure your students are in a youth ministry. Make sure that they're in a place where they're hearing biblical truths and being spoken into and encouraged in the Lord. Make sure that you're having family time where you, as a parent, are investing in their relationship with Christ. Make sure you're doing your steps to give them guidance. Make sure that you're living a life that's a good example for them to follow. Because if you're not doing those things, you're not serving your kids well. You're not serving your kids well. We serve our kids well when we encourage them in the Lord and we give them guidance towards the Lord. That's when you serve them well. Well, how does that illustrate us and our identities to be found as servants of Jesus Christ? To be a servant of Jesus Christ, you've got to get this. It's in your notes. Encourage yourself in the Lord and continually seek his guidance. You want to be known and found and your identity in being a servant of Jesus Christ, you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord and continually seek his guidance in your life. Here's the truth. The Christian life is not easy, okay? It is not. It's not an easy thing. Serving Jesus is not an easy thing. Serving in his church is not always an easy thing. Serving in the community of your place and serving people that just sometimes are just unlovable and you just don't want to serve. Serving is not an easy thing. As, as we make ourselves available to serve Jesus, serve people who are apart from God, and just and serve him in whatever area and capacity he wants us to serve him in, can I just tell you it's not always easy, but Jesus never said it, it would be. But here's the problem. When we say, yeah, I want to serve Jesus, I want to go, and I, I just want to make a difference for Christ, I'm going to serve him, I'm going to serve him in this, in this church that he's placed me in, I'm going to serve in the community, I want to serve as a disciple, I want to serve in, in small groups, I want to serve in these different areas, I just want to go, I want to serve in kids ministry or youth ministry, whatever it is, and we just say, I just want to serve Jesus Christ in whatever area he places me in, and we get going and it's great, but then life gets hard. Discouraging things happen. I've had so many conversations with people who says, you know what, man, it's just too difficult. I'm done serving Jesus because life is just getting too hard for me. I'm having marriage problems. I'm having financial problems, kid problems, Denver Bronco problems, dang it. Gosh, <laughs> what the heck? It's just life's too difficult, man. I, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. And you know what the first question I always ask is, are you encouraging yourself in the Lord? Are you encouraging yourself in the Lord? Are, are you in church to be encouraged? Are you in God's word so you can be encouraged, so you can be filled up? Are you in a small group? Are you in discipleship? Do you have people surrounding your life to love on you and speak truth into your life and give you guidance? Do you have that? And most of the time they say, no, I don't. Well, how in the world do we expect to be faithful and find our identities as servants of Jesus Christ when we cut out the things that are encouraging us and guiding us into his truth? Life's going to get hard. Life's going to get difficult. And if things are going good now, let me just tell you, it ain't going to be that way forever. And you're just, just one circumstance away from life getting difficult. And if you want your identity to be found as a servant of Jesus Christ, no matter what happens in your life, then you have got to be encouraging yourself in the Lord and seeking his guidance every day. You cannot do it alone. You need his word. You need his church. You need his guidance. 
And when you remove yourself from that and you become unfaithful to those things, then you will struggle and you will never find your identity as a servant of Jesus Christ because you will burn out. You will burn out. Let me give you a third one. Employees serve their employers. Employees serve your employers. Now, how many of you have got a boss this morning? How many of you love your boss? Okay, nobody raises their hand. That's, that's good. <laughs> so, so Paul uses this great example here. It's another, another picture of servanthood. Employees serve their employers. It includes a couple of things. First one is excellence. How do employees serve their employers? And, and the first thing here is excellence. So let's look at verse 5. It says this, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. So he's talking about a bond servant to a master. Today, in our culture, it's better pictures as employees to employers and how to serve well. According to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, to serve with respect and sincerity. Verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So, so Paul says this, to serve with excellence as if you were to do your job as if you were serving God, to serve in that kind of way. Paul also says in scripture, he says this, in all that you do, do to the glory of God. In everything that you do, you do with excellence as if you were serving God himself. That's how you serve. How do employees serve their employers? By serving with excellence. You know, as a, as a lead pastor, we, we have staff at our church, and the best way that they could serve myself is, is by doing what God has called them to do with excellence, to do it with all their heart, to do it with sincerity, to do it with passion, to give 100% to it. And if you have a boss and, and at your workplace, how can you serve them well? By going with excellence. I show, show up to work early and, and work hard and, and do your things well and successful and, and be diligent at those things because that's how you can serve well, with excellence. You know, there's a, there's a guy at our church, a couple that's been coming. His, his name's Charlie and his wife's name's Becca. And they've been coming to our church for about five months. And when they first started coming, they, they never really went to church very often. They got an invite and they came. And after they came for a few weeks, we invited them over to dinner to get to know them a little bit. And after we did that, I, I asked Charlie if he wanted to get coffee sometimes. So a few weeks after that, we met at Starbucks and we just started talking. And I, I asked Charlie if he ever come to a point to make a decision in his life if, to, to realize what Jesus Christ did for him and that, and that he had been disobedient and it had sin and, and that there's this distance between him and God, but God loves him and sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay for those. Has there ever been a, a time in your life where you've placed your faith in Christ and asked him to be your forgiver and leader of your life? And he says, no, man, I've, I've never done that, but I really want to. And so I just, at Starbucks, he says, you want to do that now? He's like, absolutely, I would love to. And so I got to lead Charlie to Christ at Starbucks, which is pretty awesome because God works all the time and, and anywhere, Right? And so it was really neat to, to lead him to Christ. And then his wife met with my wife, Tara, the next day. And Tara got to lead Becca to the Lord. And, and she accepted Christ. And soon after that, they got baptized. And it's been so cool because I've been discipling Charlie ever since. And it's been so neat to see growth in Charlie and how it's affect different areas of his life. And so um, at his workplace, 
it's even changed there. And over the last couple months, there's been these drastic changes that Charlie's gone in and he's just said, you know what? I understand that I represent Jesus wherever I go and I want to serve him. And God has given me this opportunity, this job to provide for me and my family. And he's placed me there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with excellence. I'm going to give everything I've got and I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to show up to work early and just work hard. And he's been doing that. And you know what's been happening ever since that? His employer has noticed a difference in Charlie. His coworkers have noticed a difference in him. And he's gotten promoted in the last couple months because of that. And, and all of his coworkers have taken notice and been like, man, what, what's going on in your life? And they've been going up to Charlie to seek counsel and, and get advice from him and different things like that. And, and God's opened up these great doors for Charlie, which, which really brings it to this next point of what happens and how we can serve and serve well. I want you to look at verse 8 because what happens is God opens the door for influence. That when we serve with excellence, it opens the door for influence. And verse 8 says this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Paul is saying that when you serve with excellence, God is going to bless that. When Charlie started to serve with excellence, God started to bless that. You know how God blesses that? He blesses it by giving you opportunities to influence others. Excellence breeds influence. Excellence always breeds influence. So as Charlie began to serve with excellence, these opportunities to influence others towards Christ started opening up. God blessed them by him serving at his job with excellence. And now people are coming up to him. And then over the last two weeks, Charlie's been able to pray with one of his coworkers and be able to witness and share Jesus Christ to another one. That would have never happened if he would have served with excellence because he did that. It opened up opportunity for him to have influence in the lives of those that surrounded him. God blesses that. So how... How does that picture illustrate how we can be servants of Jesus and our identities found in that? Well, that's really simple. That you got to understand that in every single area of your life, you can serve Jesus with excellence. And you may think, you know, at, at your job, well, there's just no opportunity for me to make a difference for Christ. I, you know, I just have this low on the totem pole job. That's, you know, it's just not a great opportunity for influence. You know, I don't care and neither does God. Because if you go into that workplace that God has placed you in and you serve with excellence, I guarantee you he's going to open up opportunities for influence. And when you serve in this church that God has placed you in, you serve with excellence, God's going to open up opportunities for you to be influential in his kingdom. Not just to go, hey, you know, I'm just going to serve in kids' ministry. It's my, it's my turn this month, and I'm just going to go and get it over with. Or, you know, I'm going to go to youth ministry and on a Wednesday or Tuesday night or whatever, and I'm going to do my thing. Or I'm going to go to small group, or I'm going to do this discipleship thing, and I'm just kind of going to get through it and all those kind of things. Do you think God's going to bless that? With influence? Absolutely not. But when you go with, with excellence to serve Jesus in every area, with excellence, he's going to open up doors of opportunity for you to make an influence for his name. He blesses that with excellence, breeds influence. And God's going to open up incredible doors for you to make a difference for his kingdom and his sake. So if you want to be known as a servant of Jesus, then in every, every area of your life, Serve him with excellence, and he's going to give you opportunities to influence others. The last picture Paul gives is this. Employers serve their employees. Employers serve their employees. How many of you have people who work underneath you, that work for you? Anybody like that this morning? There's a few of you. That as an employer, how, how do we serve 
our employees, what's that look like? So Paul uses that example. Um, and the first part of this, for employees to serve their employees, has got to be non-threatening. Look at verse 9. It says, and you masters do the same to them. So he says, masters serve those who serve you. Giving up threatening, not to threaten them, not to hold things over their head or anything like that, not in a threatening manner. And so non-threatening is the first thing. And the second way for employers to serve their employees is to show no favoritism. No favoritism. So he says, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. There's no favorites with God. As employers, we serve our employees well by not threatening them and not having favoritism towards other employees and showing partiality and favoritism. We don't serve our employees well when we have those things. When we threaten them and have favorites, we don't serve them well. And so what does that look like for us as servants of Jesus Christ? Like, if we want our identities to be found in that, to serve Jesus and to serve him well, and to give 100% to him in that, how does that picture that? It's this. I want you to write this down because it's in your notes. It's never threatened Jesus' lordship in your life by being partial to something else. You want to serve Jesus well, then never threaten his lordship in your life by being partial to something else. That's how you serve. That we serve our employees well when an employer doesn't threaten and doesn't show favoritism that we serve Jesus well and we will continue to serve Jesus well when we don't threaten his lordship in our life by being partial to something else. What does that mean? That means this, that when we say, you know what? Jesus, you are Lord and you are master and, and, and I just want to follow you. You are it. You're the one I'm going to pursue and I just want to serve you except when it comes to my finances because everything else, man, it's, it's all about you but this area of my, my finances, man, there, there's some favoritism, partiality there. So I'm going to threaten your lordship with my finances because I'm not going to trust you with that yet. Or, or maybe it's a, with a a specific relationship that you have, that Jesus, you are Lord, you are master, I want to serve you, except when it comes to this relationship, that I'm just not willing to do this right yet. I'm just not willing to make things right with my spouse. I'm just not ready to, you know, get out of this relationship that I know is not honoring with you. I know I'm, I'm not married, but I'm living with this person, and I know I shouldn't be, but I'm not willing to let that go, Lord. So, you know, I'm going to threaten your lordship in my life by being partial to this. Or there's so many things in our life that we threaten his lordship with and say, you are it, you are master, you are God, except for this area, except for this addiction I have, except for this struggle that I have, that I'm just not willing to let go of. Can I, can I ask you this question? How in the world can we serve Jesus and serve Jesus well when he is not Lord and master over every area? Because I guarantee it, he's gonna call you out and ask you to step up and say, listen, I wanna lead you in this area. Serve me well and go this way. But you're like, no, this, this area I haven't given over to you yet, so I can't do that. We cannot serve Jesus well. And our identities will never be found as a servant of Christ if he is not Lord over everything. Never threaten his lordship in your life by being partial and showing favoritism towards something else. If that's the case, we will never be found as servants of Jesus. So let me close out this morning with this. That, that's just a picture that I hope will just bring it all to a close. And so what I want to do is, is, is remind you, you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, 
When you place your faith in him, you're a follower. It doesn't make you a servant. It doesn't make you a servant of him. And Paul uses a term that's a great term. He says bondservant, which is really a beautiful picture. And so I just want to tell you and, and, and just show you exactly what a bondservant is. And so it's explained really well back in Exodus chapter 21. So I actually want you to turn there with me. Exodus chapter 21. In this is going to show us exactly what a bondservant is, what, what that looks like. And so what's happening here is God is speaking to Moses, and God is kind of giving Moses instructions on how to lead his people well and give him some rules and regulations to follow. And, and one of the things that he speaks into, that God speaks into, is, is what servanthood looks like and, and how long should a servant serve his master and when he should be let go to go free and, and all those kind of things. So he's kind of given Moses some direction to lead them. So Chapter 21, verse 1 says this, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. God speaking to Moses. If you buy a Hebrew ser servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. Verse 5, this is the important part. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So this is what a bond servant is. This is, this is a person who's serving his master and decides, you know what, I don't want to go free. I want to, I want to serve my master. I want to stay with him forever. I want to serve him forever. And so if that's the case, they take him down before a judge. They have his ear pierced, and that's a marking to say, I am serving him forever. He is my master, and I just want to live to serve him. That's what a bond servant is. And so when we place our faith in Christ as followers of Christ, our identity, our calling, our purpose is to be a servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ to where we say he is master, he is Lord, and I just want to serve him with my life. So how do we get there? What do, we, do we need to go get pierced or something like that for us to become a bond servant? What does that look like for us? And I think Paul paints the picture beautifully of what it would look like for us day by day to be a bond servant. And I want to share with you two verses. We'll put it up on the screen. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. 1 Corinthians 15, 31 says this. Paul says, I affirm by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. You know what Paul's saying to us today of what it looks like for us to be a bondservant? is that every single morning when we, we wake up, we don't get pierced or anything like that to show that we are a bondservant of Jesus. You know what we do? We crucify ourselves every day. We wake up and you say, you know what? I've got to die to myself every day. I've got to crucify my flesh every day. I've got to die and crucify my will, my desires, my plan, what I want to do, how I want to live, the things that I want to chase after today. I'm going to die to myself today. I'm going to crucify my flesh, and I'm going to die to me because today I want to serve Jesus Christ because today I want to be known as a servant of Jesus Christ because today I want my identity to be known as a servant of him that wherever he leads me or calls me and asks me to do, I am living to serve him today. But if I don't die to myself, then I'm just going to serve myself. 
And that if I want to be a bondservant, then that means that I crucify myself and I die to myself every day so that I can be known as a servant of Jesus Christ in every area of my life. Can I ask you a question today, church? Is, is that what you're known for? Is that what you want to be known for? Can we pray together? Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and the opportunity for you to speak into our life so that we can leave changed to become better followers of you. And I pray that you'll speak to hearts right now. And as we stay in that attitude of prayer and eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I'd really like to ask one, one of the most important questions. And what I love about Jesus is that even though he's God, he loves us and wants to serve us. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life a ransom. The greatest thing that he did to serve us was by living a sinless life and dying on a cross to take our sins upon himself to pay for them. That there's no way for us to be made right in the eyes of God. There's no way for us to have a relationship with God except through placing our faith in Jesus, the greatest servant of all who laid down his life so we could be forgiven, who laid down his life so that we could be made right in the eyes of God. But it can only happen by placing our faith in what Jesus did for us. And if you're here this morning, say, you know what, there's never been a point in my life where I've realized that I'm apart from God. And that, and that my sin, my disobedience has, has separated me from God. And that the only way for me to be forgiven is to place my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. And if there's never been a moment in your life where you've asked Jesus to be your forgiver and you asked Jesus to be the leader and master of your life, that I want to encourage you to make that decision this morning in your seat. And with eyes closed and heads bowed, just to take a moment and and, and just tell God, God, I know that you love me. Tell him that. And I know that you want a relationship with me. And that you made it possible for me to be forgiven by sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay for my sins, to do for me what I could not do for myself. And I can, can I encourage you right now in your seat to ask Jesus Christ to be your forgiver to ask him to forgive you for your sins and disobedience. And ask him right now to be your leader, your master. And say, I want to be a servant of you. I want to give you my life. And thank him right now for all that he's done for you. Take a moment and thank him. You know, the Bible tells us this, that when we make a decision like that and we put our faith and trust in Christ as forgiver and leader, that we should proclaim that so it can be celebrated. And so with eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm not gonna call anybody out, but if you say, Nick, I made that decision, I asked Jesus to be my forgiver and leader. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Anybody like that this morning? Thank you, I see your hand, you can put it down. Anybody else? Yeah, I made that decision, thank you. I see your hand, you can put it down. The rest who are followers of Christ this morning, what is it that's keeping you from being known as a servant of Jesus? 
What decisions do you need to make? What steps do you need to take to be known as a servant of him? Lord, we love you and we thank you for the decisions that were made this morning. And we give you all the glory and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Can we give a hand for all the decisions that were made this morning?